I'm Supervisory Customs and Border Protection Officer Karina Villaleva. Today's special episode is a conversation between CBP Office of Field Operations, Deputy Executive Assistant Commissioner Diane J. Sabatino, and CBP Officer Sean DeBottis on his important role in the rescue of a toddler. Well, thank you so much, Officer DeBottis, for joining me today. I'm, I'm really grateful to have the opportunity to speak with you and kind of a unique situation in this virtual environment uh, would rather be, uh, you know, face to face, you know, hopefully we're turning the corner uh, on the pandemic and we'll be able to do some travel uh, in the near term. And I look forward to getting the chance to meet you in person. Um, but with that, I just want to take a quick second to, to ask you to introduce yourself. Well, well thank you for having me, uh, Ms. Sabatino. be happy to share my little story. So my name is Sean DeBottis. I'm a U.S. Customs Border Protection Officer stationed at the Bush Intercontinental Airport in Houston, Texas, out of the Houston field office. Really, the, the reason that I wanted to have the chance to speak with you today, you know, on, on January 8th, um, you had a pretty fascinating day and a really successful day uh, as a CBP officer, both um, on and off duty. And I, I want to get into the details of that. Sure. So I'm the guy on primary. And so I had what I consider to be kind of a pretty good day. I had about six Referrals I had sent to hard secondary that ended up being positive cases. I was feeling pretty good. I mean, when you get something like that, you can get people coming to work all the time, and that's that's a good thing. But when you get somebody that's involved in in something a lot heavier that we're really looking for, then then you say, yeah, man, this is great. Thank you. When we think about it in the context in the day to day, with the hundreds of travelers potentially that we're going to see on any given shift, and really zeroing in on those individuals and taking the time, you know, when you have that sense that something isn't right is really important and critical and why, you know, right at primary, you know, that is where, you know, the unknowns are going to cross. You know, we have great resources in terms of advanced information that, you know, we can vet against uh, numerous databases, but it really highlights the great um, work that, that our frontline officers are doing uh, day in and day out. Um, you know, and determining that intent. And at the end of your shift, uh, when you departed, it's, it's you know, one of the things we talk about is that the, the law enforcement mindset is 24-7 mindset. Just because you're leaving work doesn't necessarily mean uh, that you're off duty in the sense that, uh, you know, we still have to be mindful of our, our surroundings and have an awareness and a sense, uh, you know, to, uh, to serve the public. So after you left uh, work that day, it'd be really great if you could share some of the details. Sure. So, you know, my day wraps up and I'm like, all right, man, I had a good day. I probably had my best day since I've been at Bush. I head on down the street to, to my daycare and we've been there a few years. Um, and at the daycare, it's, uh, you know, you tend to know the parents, right? We all come around the same time to get our kids. I just quickly over here as I get out of my car standing up, hey, there's a kid in the car. And I'm like, you know, my interest is peaked. I turn my head a little bit. The gentleman goes, the guy goes, what do you mean? He goes, I don't know. There's a kid in the car alone. And then after the gentleman says that, the guy who I don't recognize, who's out of place, turns around and just kind of sheepishly walks off towards um, kind of like a strip mall of businesses that's across the way. And I'm like, what? So at that point, I go to the parent who turns around and he's going to walk up to the daycare because the gentleman has just left, right? Who reported this. And I say, hey, what do he say to you? And he goes, hey, he said there's a kid in the car. Well, I look at the car. And it's kind of a brand new white Toyota RAV4 and it has a temporary paper plate. And so I asked the two moms that are in line, I said, hey, is that anybody's car? And they say, no. So we got to the point where none of the moms said it's their car. The gentleman who reported it has just kind of sheepishly like walked away, looking back maybe once or twice. And I say, oh, 
uh, in my head. We got something going on. So I asked the director who was there, hey, do you recognize the vehicle? Because she had just brought a child out. She goes, no. And so we ran over the vehicle and opened the back door. And there's a two-year-old, about to be what it looks like, a two-year-old little girl sitting in the back of her car seat, no buckles on, and nobody else in the car. And then we open the front door, and there's a purse just sitting in the front seat. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, God. I was like, this guy, why did he just report this and walk away? So given like an instinctual thing, but then CBP's training to kind of like understand there's some a situation going on, react to the situation, and then and then do something about it. So I, I grabbed my phone out. I called 911 right away because I'm thinking this guy walked away. He's a potential suspect. He can't get that far. Uh, I call 911. I report all the information to dispatch, what the gentleman looks like, what direction he went in, our scenario, where we are, location, you know, all the things they ask you on a 911 call. And they give me a general term. They say, hey, we have a constable coming down the road. So I'm not on the phone maybe a minute and a half. And I see the constable and I flag him down. And as the constable pulls in, he lets me know, hey, I just got a call that there was a kidnapping. I think these two calls are related. And I said, you know what? Yeah, they definitely are. But maybe it's not a kidnapping because, you know, if you're going to kidnap, you're not going to leave the, the child in, in the car. So anyways, at that point in the story, I'm hung up with 911. The gentleman, the, the constable, he says, hey, would you mind canvassing the area real quick? Now, so everybody knows this. I'm in a cover shirt. I have my class two uniform on like you see now, but I have a cover shirt on and I have my duty weapon on my on my side. I let him know when he shows up, by the way, that I'm I'm off duty law enforcement. I work for U.S. Customs. I don't want to identify myself. And, and I say, hey, look, I'll run to these businesses. Maybe the guy jumped into one of these. So I run over to Sonic, which is your local burger place. And then there's a Vietnamese place. And then there's a few strip malls in there. And I just say, hey, this is what's going on. There's a gentleman who's who, who police are looking for. They're all on their way. If you see this gentleman, have you seen him? No, nobody saw him. Uh, and if you do see him, hey, keep him in the restaurant for a minute, you know, so we, so we can get the guy. And so my last stop is Whataburger. And they say, hey, we just had a policeman in here. I said, okay, you know the situation? Yeah, we're looking for this guy. So as I'm coming out of Whataburger, I see about four or five police cars go into what's called Culver's. And in my mind, the CVP, I'm like, oh, they got him. All the cop cars convulge into one point. They know where he is. I run back to daycare. I say to the constable, hey, do they have him? He goes, they got him. I said, great, great. So I said, you know what? And I asked the other parent, I said, hey, would you mind staying to ID the suspect and write a statement? Because at this point, they're doing radio chat and saying, yeah, he just admitted to, to being involved with this car with this little girl. So from that point, I just basically, I'm saying, okay, good, this is getting wrapped up. Now, what I left out of my story is that before I left to go kind of canvas the area, the constable told me, hey, just so you know, there was a phone call of a, of a, of the kidnapping, right? And he said real quick, he said, I think a lady had gone in a store and left her car running. So the mother of the child, you know, unbeknownst to me during all this stuff, had pulled over somewhere, I think up the road on the highway, gone into a salon thinking, I'm just going to be in for a second with her car running unlocked. This gentleman jumps in the car to steal a car. And then I think once he realizes that he's in over his head, there's a child in the back of the car. He tries to say, hey, I made a bad move. How can I maybe fix this? Right. Because he goes to a daycare. He tells somebody about it and he tries to kind of get away. Couldn't believe it, but there was like a lot of helicopters and news media. And I was shocked at how fast that these guys got on scene. 
but you take a situation, Miss Sabatino, that's like, that could be one thing or another. I mean, it could have ended horribly worse. If it was a true intent to kidnap somebody, I mean, it could have been terrible. But given the fact that um, we're lucky that it wasn't summertime because people people don't do well in the heat in cars, especially real kids. We made a good reaction to something. I hope to think nobody would just turn their head and walk away about. Um, and really, like we took a situation that evolved and, and we're able to take care of it in, in a quick amount of time. I'll tell you, as a parent and, and you know, certainly you understanding the terror that um, the mom must have felt when she realized that her child was missing and, and not knowing for whatever the period of time was, uh, even if it was for just a few minutes. The idea that you were there and identified, uh, you know, the situation as quickly as you did. And let me ask, you know, when you talk about, you know, your instinct to, to take care of something, you know, was there any specific training that you think kind of kicked in and you know in the moment it's interesting you know that's when training does kick in it's not something necessarily that you think about applying in the scenario you know we go through many exercises but what was it in particular about your training you think that uh, made you as successful as you were in this and certainly retaining the information about what the individual was even wearing you know, and the, exactly, and the, yeah, exactly. One of those things. Yeah, exactly. When we do report writing, I mean, you know, we try to give details. We try to do we do a lot of we do active shooter training. But basically, I mean, CDP, in a general sense, tries to tell you, hey, pay attention to your surroundings. I'm sure most people do. Most people look around, you know, they, they do things. Law enforcement certainly does things like when most law enforcement folks go into a restaurant, they sit down so they can see the door a lot of times. I mean, that's a thing. Um, where CBP really helped him out was, was, um, to kind of just keep a general sense of awareness all the time. And then with, I tell you, with CBP, it was, you know, I, I had the, my gut feeling, which again, with, with, uh, goes back to your primary inspection and really a lot of things you do in life, but, but, um, you've got to trust your instincts. I identified a situation that was like, you know, I like to call them fletzy red flags. If you get this odd scenario, um, that just doesn't make sense, the red flags, you know? And as an officer, when you do an inspection, you inspect it until it either makes sense or it doesn't. If it doesn't, you just you, you send it to the next stage. Given the training that I get with CDP, you know, on a yearly basis, it's it's hey, this doesn't make sense. Let's react to it. And and if any kudos can be given to me, I think it's reaction time that was the most important. Because if somebody lollygags at this situation, who knows if the guy's armed and he's going to carjack somebody else? I mean, we care about the girl the most, you know. She's she's the victim, really, in a lot of this. She's okay, and the daycare did a great job bringing her some cookies and juice, and you know, and and um, and the great folks there. But CBP's training really pushes the identify an issue, react to it, and try to resolve the situation, and and that's helpful to me. Oh, thank you. Well, I'll tell you, I, I am quite sure, and I'll make sure that he watches it. But uh, Field Operations Academy Director uh, Holzer is going to be very pleased to hear your reference specifically to Fletzy. Because clearly that's where it starts. Um, but we have a lot of training that we do, uh, you know, uh, with uh, our, our firearms and, and tactical units, um, you know, that kicks in in the moment that it needs to. And clearly, you know, your gut, uh, you know, got you moving on this one. And, you know, you took care of an individual and uh, brought great relief, I'm sure, to the parents of that young child. Just, you know, horrific circumstances that ended so well because uh, you made the investment that you did. Yes, you know, you had the cover shirt on. And why was it important for you to, to wear a cover shirt? And, and what other tools did you have with you? Sure. So 
everybody gets to make their own decisions, right? Everybody's going to choose to do what they want to do when they leave work in whatever manner they're going to do it. I, I found the practice of wearing a cover shirt to be really helpful. I mean, I might not just go straight home. My windows are tinted here in Texas, but it doesn't mean that everybody needs to know what I do. Um, it's important. I mean, uh, in an age where somebody might identify you as law enforcement and then not like you just because of the fact that you're law enforcement, we see these things on the news. I think wearing a cover shirt can only help you. It only gives you that extra layer of security that if you really need to, you could remove, but it allows you to have that. You know what I mean? And so, so why not use it? It takes a second to put it on. Oh, absolutely. And you know, it's unfortunate. I think sometimes that, that we're in the circumstance that, uh, you know, we have to have that situational awareness at all times for our own safety, you know, and take the measures to, to make sure that, that we all make it home at the end of the day, that that is a critical part uh, of what we do. Uh, but certainly in service to um, the public, you know, a, a great success story with the efforts uh, that, that you invested in this particular situation. I think, um, you know, you've been uh, very humble, certainly in leading up to the interview. I think you were a little surprised maybe when we uh, reached out to ask you to participate, you know, in this, but because it was such a unique scenario and, and a day full of successes and highlighting that law enforcement mindset that you clearly have both on duty and off duty really is a model, uh, you know, for, for all of us, including myself and a great reminder. You know, regardless of the positions that we're in in this agency, we can be leaders from le any level in the organization. And and I say that a lot because it's true and it's important for us to remember. And you played a real leadership role, uh, you know, that day, certainly in your efforts uh, at the at the port, as well as off duty in your community. You know, so thank you for that. And I, I really do want to reiterate, I, I appreciate, you know, the opportunity to be able to talk to you today and, and share your story with uh, our colleagues across the country. But before, um, you know, we kind of close out the conversation, I just ask is anything that you'd like to share uh, with, with your colleagues across the country, the officers, our agriculture specialists, our import specialists, our mission support specialists, um, just uh, anything, you know, in terms of, you know, how how you carry yourself in the day-to-day -day and the efforts that you take. I think if everybody can, can just try to stay motivated, I mean, it's really great when you have a positive inspection come back that turns out to be bigger than a normal thing that we do. But if everybody can stay motivated because, you know, we're working towards a goal and it's a good goal to be employed with. And so um, if everybody can just keep their motivation high, I think, I think that's the best juice you can feed to everybody. And it's really great when, you know, management comes back and they say, hey, this is a great one. Thank you. So if, if that can be my message to go out to everybody, then that's what I would say. Just stay motivated and, uh, and be a good person and things will be okay. I love it. Well, thank you so much for uh, your time this afternoon. Hopefully get to see you soon and, um, you know, certainly stay safe, um, stay healthy, and uh, hopefully we're turning the corner on this pandemic uh, with vaccinations coming out and uh, you know ensuring that we're adhering to our, our you know the safety and, and health standards and the following the guidance of our health professionals um you know ensuring that we're social distancing wearing our masks taking every effort to keep our colleagues and the traveling public safe but have a great weekend and uh, i hope to talk to you soon no oh, thank you so much for the time appreciate it have a great one thank you thanks for listening and having us as a guest subscribe to get new episodes as they're released Leave a comment if you have a border-related question that you would like us to discuss. If we can talk about it, we will.